my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive, six, seven, eight, feeling great. Hello, BYWG tribe. This is Dr. Noah. Here's a quick peek at our supplement product and book of the month for April 2020. At the end of the podcast, I will spend a few minutes going into further detail, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for April is actually our immune system support bundle that includes one bottle of immune boost, one bottle of stress rebalancer, and one bottle of vitamin D3 boost. We are extending our 15% off and free shipping through the month of April. Our book of the month is a frequent guest, Dr. Kelly Ann's Cleanse and Reset, and our product of the month is Magic Spoon. Man, do I love Magic Spoon. It's the world's first low-carb, high-protein, keto-friendly breakfast cereal. All the links, discount codes, and special offers for the product, supplement, and book will be listed in the show notes and iTunes, posted on social media, in our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. I'm your co-host today, Dr. Mike Akinfora, and I am thrilled to have Dr. Teresa Bullard on the show. Dr. Teresa, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I am thrilled. I was fortunate enough to catch um, Teresa's um, show on Gaia TV, the mystery teachings, and I, I was really hoping that we could connect and get her on the show. I found it fascinating um, for somebody with that is a physicist that has, I want to say, um, is able to teach what she teaches and how she teaches it. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Let me read your, your very, very, very short bio, <laughs> and, and we could get right into it. So Dr. Teresa Bullard is a Ph.D. physicist, the host of Mystery Teachings on Gaia TV, and an international spiritual teacher with the Modern Mystery School. She merges science, ancient wisdom, and powerful time-tested techniques for harnessing consciousness. Dr. Bullard brings truly a fresh and powerful altering approach you can find her at www i'll spell it out for you t-h-e-r-e-s-a-b-u-l-l-a-r-d.com uh, that's Teresa bullard so welcome to the show thank you so can you i got an email from you the other day um could you give people a deeper dive into your into your background yeah, sure. So, uh, as as you mentioned in the bio, I have a PhD in physics, and um, but prior to that, I had also been um, raised with a lot of diversity. I had been in sports. I played volleyball. Um, my family that I grew up with, um, they were fairly open, uh, so they explored a you know variety of spiritual. Uh, traditions and my parents in particular were into the Edgar Casey studies. That's how they met. Um, so I had a lot of opportunity from a, a really young age to explore rather than just be indoctrinated into only one way of believing. Um, so I always had a sense of a spiritual side to life, but I uh, also didn't really make any decisions about it uh, early on. I, I just felt like, well, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm not going to 
say or claim that I do know because I, I really don't know. Uh, but I was open to hearing different people's perspectives. And um, but ultimately, I through high school and college, I was very focused on uh, career. You know, I want to go as far as I need to go with my education in order to ultimately have a really interesting career and not hit that proverbial glass ceiling as a woman. So um, life led me into physics. And I think what originally inspired me to go into physics was um, I was I was off in uh, exploring different colleges. And so I'd been on a road trip with my mom and we were going through Arizona and we had been to Sedona and had a, a just a nice little time in Sedona uh, you know, with some, the vortexes there and some kind of shamanic experience. And I was just really open and inspired from that experience. And then we were driving to Northern Arizona to go look at one of the universities. And I remember while we were driving at night, um, I was looking out the window up at the, at the night sky and out in the desert, you know, you just see the whole Milky Way stretching across the sky and I thought how, you know, how beautiful and how amazing it was. And, and I just found myself contemplating like, God, there's so much, there's got to be so much going on out there in the universe. And I want to know more about what's going on out there. You know, there's there's so much more beyond our mundane little lives that we get so caught up in here on this earth. And so in that moment, I had the aha moment because I was also thinking like, what what is my, what am I going to major in, you know, as I get into college? And in that moment, I realized, oh, that's that's what I want to study. That's what I want to major in. I'm going to do astronomy. And um, and so then what led me into physics from that realization of astronomy was the university that I went to. I went to University of Denver for college and it was sort of a smaller liberal arts school. But I had gotten a volleyball scholarship and a partial honor scholarship to go there. And uh, when I told them that I wanted to major in astronomy, they, they really didn't have a big enough astronomy department. So then the advisor was like, well, do you plan on going to graduate school ultimately? And I said, yes, at the time. And he's like, well, you know, if you want to study astronomy, what's important is that you have a solid background in physics. And then, you know, so maybe you can major in physics now and then you can do astronomy or astrophysics later. And so I thought, Okay, I never would have thought I'd go into physics, but I guess that sounds like the plan. And so that's what led me into physics. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and in college, I had a lot of diversity. So it was a liberal arts school. We had a pretty broad curriculum that we had to, to study. Um, but then as I got towards, you know, my, my senior year and I had been in physics and I started getting really excited about some of the high energy physics and the quantum physics and the particle physics stuff, which it was more exotic and, and interesting than the old classical physics stuff. And so then as I was um, going to, to the next step of graduate school, I was applying for various PhD programs and I uh, ended up going to the university of Washington in Seattle. And then as I went from this life of diversity and a lot of balance and, you know, sports and academics and friends and social life and all of that in Denver. And then I went to Seattle and I got into graduate school. I found myself immersed in the first year of 80 hours a week of just brain physics between the classes and the study and the um, research and, and the homework and the testing. And it's like 80 hours a week of all left brain physics. So all that diversity that I'd had prior 
well, I just I didn't have time for it now to survive the graduate school experience um, that first year. And so after about a year of that, I found myself really getting dissatisfied, depressed um, and wondering why I was doing it, because I, I, I wasn't really sure yet what I wanted to do with a PhD or why I needed a PhD or what kind of career I wanted to have. I was still trying to figure that out. And I was just kind of following the system. Of, of academia and what they say is, you know, the best way to go and, and you know, prepare yourself for a strong career. And um, so I was hoping along the way I'd figure it out. But I had also had these idealistic hopes that in graduate school, we'd start to really get into the deeper meaning of the the quantum physics theories, for example, and, and what it really means versus just learning the equations and the basics. But what I got was the opposite. It was really like, learn how to derive everything from first principles, you know, do these equations that take you five to eight pages to derive it, you know, longhand and, you know, for one, one problem that you have to solve. And, <laughs> and it was just uh, 80 hours a week of left brain. And so after that um, year, I, I was, yeah, I was depressed. I was unhappy. I was disillusioned with graduate school. And I thought something's got to give here. Like this isn't, this isn't working for me. And so then, um, so then I thought, okay, well, I'm not ready to toss in the towel yet on graduate school and getting the PhD. I still want to get that, but I need to do it in a way that that isn't at the expense of my happiness and my sense of well-being. And so I thought, all right, I had it before; it was it was there before, but now it's gone. So I need to bring back those things that I had in my life prior to graduate school. I need to bring them back into my life and see if that helps. Right? If that helps bring me to a greater sense of balance and, and happiness again. And so I brought like, like a scientist would, I very systematically started to figure out, okay, what's the key? Like if I, if I have to just bring in a few things, what's the main thing, you know, a few things that are important. And so very systematically I started bringing in social time again and athletics again and creative hobbies. And, you know, I just started to diversify my life again. And I brought in all those aspects of life that, that, you know, general knowledge would say, oh, this is how to create a well-rounded lifestyle. And about another year later, I was still um, not happy. I was feeling better. I was feeling more balanced. But it's like there's still something really core that was missing. And, and it felt like whatever that piece was, it was at the core of my sense of purpose and joy. And, um, and so, here I was, I was like, I thought I brought back everything and, and yet I'm still not satisfied what's going on. Um, and, and one day when I was at the gym, the lights turned on again and I realized that there was one thing I still hadn't brought back into my life that I'd had previously. And that one thing was spirituality. And prior to that point, it was always just sort of there on the side. It was not really anything I felt like I had to um, be super active or make a priority. It was always just kind of there informing my background philosophy in life. But here it was, it was the only thing I hadn't purposely brought back into my life. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, I've, I've got no other answers. So let's give this a try. But it, but by that point, I'm two years into graduate school, I'm really well indoctrinated into the physics way of thinking, um, that scientific mindset. And I was a little shocked that I didn't I had disbelief. You know, I didn't think spirituality was going to be it, but I really didn't have any other answers. So I thought I'd give it a try. And um, and but at that point, anything I was going to believe spiritually 
had to complement or at least not negate what I knew to be true scientifically. And so I, I decided to try and search for anything where the, the two fields might overlap. Like I got into all the science and consciousness and science and spirituality and Tao of physics and, you know, where kind of Eastern philosophies overlap with quantum physics uh, ideas. And as I started to read and explore into that field, it it really woke up my passion and it woke up my sense of excitement and that and I had the remembering that, oh, yeah, I went into physics in the first place because of a spiritual inspiration, not because of just an intellectual thing. And so I got very excited um, and really dove in pretty deep and realized that spirituality was the big key for me to, to restore a sense of balance and purpose and meaning. And, um, and then the next big piece that, that that led me to ultimately was that I was getting so excited that I then wanted, um, other people that I could talk to. I wanted community. I wanted people of like mind because in the physics environment especially in academia you don't talk about spirituality at, for fear of losing your credibility and so i couldn't really talk about it in the main environment i was immersed in which was the physics department and so i had to start searching elsewhere for community of people that i could talk with about these spiritual concepts but also not just spiritual concepts but having the depth of insight into how they might overlap with some of these um, more, you know, scientific concepts. And that was a challenging piece as well, was to find community. And at one point I was um, really getting frustrated, feeling fairly isolated and, and like, like I wasn't, uh, like I felt like a fish out of water. Like I just didn't feel like I was where I needed to be um, or around the people that would get me. And uh, so I, I put out a call to the universe at some point, like, just help me find my tribe, you know, help me find others of, of similar wavelength and, you know, that will feel like spiritual family and, and my path, like help me find this. And then that kicked off a sequence of events that synchronistically led me to people in the modern mystery school. And uh, we can, we can chat more about that, but the modern mystery school then became that that place where I found those people uh, that felt like spiritual family that that felt like, yeah, th this there's some depth here. Um, it was grounded, you know, it wasn't super new agey. Uh, so as a scientist, like I couldn't I couldn't go with just a new age sort of airy fairy way of thinking of things like I needed something really grounded, practical, tangible that had deeper answers. And I really found that within the Western mystery school tradition. Um, so between alchemy, uh, which science actually came out of alchemy, but when it was alchemy, it was it was also very spiritual. Um, and then Kabbalah, in particular, more of a universal form of Kabbalah that's not tied to any particular religion. And then um, hermetic teachings. And so in my uh, series on Gaia TV, the mystery teaching series, I, I weave together these concepts from the ancient spiritual traditions from the mystery schools and the science of today and show how they overlap um, it means about us and, and our potential and who we really are and what we, what we're here to achieve. So that's, uh, I, I became a, an international instructor for the modern mystery school. 
Uh, I teach all over the world uh, with some of their teachings, uh, but then I'm also uh, developing a lot of the bridging of science and spirituality uh, and and bringing new pieces into that that picture. You know, there's a lot of pioneering work that's been done by others in that field, but there's there's new pieces uh, that are emerging that I, I think that the Western mystery tradition really helps to inform um, and, and Kabbalah in particular and alchemy. They really help inform in a new way so that we can kind of take it to the next level. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I just finished writing. Um, <laughs> it, it's really interesting to me. I want to unpack some of this. Um, and, and, and I will also divulge some things about myself, which our audience probably doesn't know. Edgar Casey was a huge proponent of chiropractic. Um, and I was introduced to Edgar Casey later on in, in my chiropractic career when a patient said, oh, do you know who this is? I had no idea. Um, and now I am a member of the Edgar Casey Society. But he, he wrote a, a, a lot about chiropractic and where that came from, which, which I always found fascinating. Um, the bigger thing for me is that the... the what you're doing, Teresa, I think there's very few people in the world that are able to do it in the way that you do it. Um, and that's what I found so fascinating when I, when I found um, the mystery teachings on, on Gaia is because it's got it's got a ton of material. And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes for folks. But um, th this really fascinated me. Um, because it kind of goes hand in glove with with my journey in, in seeking out spirituality and and i am a master mason i belong to edgar casey society um, and continually look to see where i can bridge the gap in health and and these teachings that are out there that have been there that i believe that we've lost along the way that we are a society that's kind of stumbling around looking for for this um, for this teaching and finding it. I, I'm very, very, very fortunate to have found it. So could you get into a, a little bit? Um, I don't know if you want to touch base on what what is alchemy? What, what do you, where, where do you see like modern day alchemy? Where is that? And then talk a little about about Kabbalah and hermetic teaching, if it's okay. You there? You there? Yeah. Uh, I'm... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you you cut out when you said talk a little bit about and then <laughs> um, uh, so alchemy and then something yeah, uh, else. Talk about... <laughs> so we need to cut that section. Okay. There. <laughs> um, can can you talk about a, a little bit about alchemy and um, Kabbalah as as you see it in the mystery teachings and and maybe a little bit of the hermetic teaching? I, I know we I'm very cognizant of your time, um, but I want people yeah. to get an idea. Idea, a more a well-rounded idea I find this so fascinating yeah sure so when I first uh, came to or when alchemy first started finding its way into my life I was I was in my PhD studies I was I was a good um, almost two years in now 
And um, I, remember I had actually been to a, a, have a reading from a psychic, <laughs> just really more to entertain a friend of mine than anything. Um, but this reader, she's a tarot reader, and she just kept picking up on, you know, this, this something about my mind and spirituality. And I finally I told her, look, I'm a physicist. And she said, oh, honey, you need to study alchemy. And I looked at her like she was crazy because to the way I had been trained in physics was that alchemy was just this pseudoscience. No, they're just trying to turn lead into gold. And, you know, it had been given a really bad reputation. And um, so I, I looked down upon it. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm a real scientist. <laughs> you know, I don't have anything to learn from these alchemists. And that was my mindset at the time when she first said it. And she's just like, no, 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 trust me, you need to study it. And um, so and then it came back around again and again. And so by the third time it had come back around, I thought, all right, look, this keeps coming up. I'm going to trust the signs from the universe. And so I, I started to, to read about it. And I realized very quickly that alchemy was not what we were taught in school about, oh, it's just about trying to turn lead into gold and, you know, early scientists trying to try, trying to make money or whatever. It was really, um, it was a wisdom tradition. And it had ancient, very ancient roots that go all the way back to Egypt, probably even further back to ancient Sumeria. And, um, and then it spread all throughout the world. And, Science, modern day science, modern medicine, modern pharmacology, psychology, you know, there's so many different modern day sciences and practices that came out of the tradition of alchemy. Um, and but in alchemy, it was all one, you know, it was all integrated and science and spirituality and psychology and like all of it was integrated. And so um what I discovered was that alchemy is really it's it's a process of transformation of our own self. And it's the that there is a, a formula or there's a, a sequence of steps that everything goes through when it transforms or evolves. And so we're trying to understand what the alchemists were trying to do was was like a scientist. They were trying to understand the, the laws of nature and how nature moves evolution along basically um and how we transform and what are those stages that we go through and you can think of like the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly and what happens in that process and um so what they discovered was that there was you know you could break it down into seven steps or you could break it down into 12 steps it really depends on what what perspective they were taking um and and usually in the west in the western alchemy tradition they related those steps to the tree of life from Kabbalah. So they, there was a lot of integration that happened between the tree of life of the Kabbalistic tradition and the alchemy. And they used them as um, the tree of life becomes like a map or a way of organizing information about and you can and, and overlay all kinds of different systems of knowledge um, onto the tree of life. Uh, including physics, including psychology, relationships, um, herbs and their properties, like there's astrology, you know, you can put all kinds of stuff onto the tree of life. And it, it is a way of organizing that information. And, um, and so the alchemists use the, the tree of life and the Kabbalistic system as a, a metaphorical language. And, um, but what the alchemists were trying to do is to understand those stages of progression that we go through as we are in a transformational or evolutionary process. And then from understanding that natural process, 
how can we as creative beings, as intelligent beings, how can we work with it in alignment with the flow of nature and, and those natural laws? How can we work with it to speed it up? So they were trying to progression through the transformational or evolutionary cycle, but also how can we drive um, the perfection, right? So alchemy is about raising vibration, purifying, bringing something into its most perfected form. Um, and so how can we make things more perfected by our active engagement and participation with nature? And um, ultimately, the highest goal of alchemy, they talk about the philosopher's stone, um, but the philosopher's stone was really a metaphor or a symbol, I should say, of us becoming our most perfected self, of us achieving our full divine potential, because the alchemists really believed that the divine was in everything, including us, and that we were given a, a great gift uh, from the divine to have this intelligence to be able to um, to contemplate our world and to interact with it and to exercise our creative abilities and so forth. So the alchemists felt like it was our, our great work, our mission to actively engage with this, this, um, these laws of creation and transformation in order to speed up the evolutionary process and perfect it, uh, beginning with the perfection of self. And then as we, um, as we transform and evolve ourselves, then how do we then take that outwardly and apply it into the natural world, you know, to apply remedy, you know, to create remedies that really can cure diseases, to um, create a society that is, you know, really more in the harmony and, and a, a more ideal kind of society. Um, how can we apply it in business? You know, how can we apply it in any area of life? So what I discovered when I started researching alchemy again was that it was a gold mine of wisdom, right? So the gold in alchemy is really the wisdom that it shows and reveals to us. And it, I think it's super, super applicable today um, in our modern day scientific way of thinking of things because, again, science came out of alchemy, but also um, when science started to divorce itself from spirituality, it became more and more materialistic and it, it just started focusing on the bottom line, basically. And and in that process, we've lost sight of some of the higher uh, wisdom that guides the purpose of scientific advancement. And I think that where we're at in our world today is we have a lot of knowledge, we have a lot of power, a lot of technology, a lot of ability through those technologies to really change things at a fundamental level within nature. I mean, you just look at genetic engineering, for example, um, and there's a huge responsibility that comes with that. And yet, because we've become so, science has become so divorced from um, spirituality and morality even sometimes, that it's, it's just playing God too much. <laughs> and so I feel like alchemy and Kabbalah and some of these ancient wisdom teachings that, that, that are at the core foundation. They're the ancestors to science. I feel like they need to come back together so that we have that wisdom to guide our, our advancement and to really make sure that we are progressing and transforming and evolving towards a, a truly higher potential versus heading down a, a destructive path that's just dri driven by greed or um, power and control type stuff. 
so that's been one of my big missions is to try, try and bring these things back together. Uh, and there's no fundamental reason why spirituality and, and science should be separate. They're, it, I think it was more political than anything when they separated out. I agree 100% uh, with you on that. There really is no reason for it to be separated out. Um, what, where, where, does, where does Kabbalah come into this? Mm -hmm. So um, Kabbalah, like I said before, Kabbalah was used a lot by the Western um, alchemists. So there were alchemists also in, in the East, like in China and, and uh, Taoism and India and so forth. So, so they kind of gravitated towards other um, spiritual traditions as their metaphorical language. But you can see the threads all being similar amongst them and all having connections back into alchemy. But in the Western tradition, the alchemists gravitated towards Kabbalah as a as a way to organize the information and to um, use some of that metaphorical language of the soul, because ultimately the tree of life and the Kabbalistic system is about who are who are we as divine beings, uh, who and what is the divine, like the, in the sense of the greater universe, the source, all of that. And what is our connection to that? What is our purpose within this universe? What is the nature of our soul and how our mind works? And that's one of the things I really love about Kabbalah, is, which is a little different from some of the Eastern spiritual paths, is that the Kabbalistic system really looks at how does the human mind work? And digging into it almost like a scientist would to really understand the intricacies of, of, our, of our framework kind of like our operating system of how we are, how we perceive, um, how we think, how we emote, and learning to purify that, learning to harness that and master that part of us, rather than, for example, um, you know, some some of the Eastern traditions, like in, in certain Buddhist uh, approaches, it's just like, you know, no mind, just go into no mind and quiet the mind and go around that mind and sort of deny the ego of its attachments and and so forth and and, it, and that works but it works in a monastic way of life you know you kind of have to remove yourself from society and go live in the monastery or up on the mountaintop and um, there's beautiful teachings there and they definitely work but it isn't always conducive to living in society uh, whereas the Kabbalistic approach is that your life in the world is your ultimate testing ground for your spiritual attainment mm -hmm. and Rather than trying to go around the mind into no mind, which really is not very easy to do when you're living in society and you're being bombarded with stimulus all the time um, and you're having to deal with people, <laughs> um, you, you now need to instead learn how to attain those higher spiritual awakenings and integrate it and live it in your daily life. And so Kabbalah is a very practical spiritual um, approach that is about being in the world but not attached to and hooked up by the, the world, like not being of the matrix, but being able to operate within that frame. And, um, and Kabbalah is the study of life. You know, it's, it's how do we live this life to the fullest, being an active participant in helping make this world a better place while also attaining our higher spiritual awakening. Um, and, and, and then you know, we talk about ascending the tree, where we're, we're trying to, to reclaim, we're trying to heal, and we're trying to reclaim our full 
connection and awareness of our divinity. But then we're also um, embodying that. We're, we're bringing that that higher spiritual energy and awareness back down into our physical world and and manifesting according to those higher um, ideas, those higher wisdoms. And then how can we use that to direct what it is we're doing in this world? Uh, so rather than just creating in the world from um, practical know-how uh, and and just ideas that we get from each other at a personality level of things, it's about how do we reach up to our higher wisdom, our our divinity, and then from that place, from that perspective and insight, how do we then manifest it and bring it down into the world? Um, so I, when I first came to Kabbalah, it was it it was another one of those big aha moments for me of oh this is this is a gold mine this is what I've been looking for because it's a way to bring all these different systems of knowledge together into one place and and show how they link up. So I can take physics uh, physics principles and and lay it out on the tree of life and show how it, it works with that system. I can take relationship dynamics and lay it out on that tree of life and show how it, how it all links up. Um, psychology, you know, you can take the human body and where there might be physical ailments in the human body and then how does that relate to the tree of life? And then what does that show us about the maybe the mental and emotional components that are associated with that issue or disease in the physical body? Um, so it's a really comprehensive system uh, that that I I love. I use it as sort of the main framework or map for how I organize information. Fascinating. Um, and where uh, there <laughs> there's, there's so much that you've gone over, uh, my head's kind of swimming. Uh, so I'm just uh, and, <laughs> and I you know when you do interviews regularly, when you have a guest on that just goes with it like you've done um that's where the real magic is for me um as an interviewer because you're in your zone of genius and you are able to convey your message and the message that you want people to understand and it just it's it's kind of like it flows like a river it flows like a good piece of music or 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 a movie or a theater um and and i really appreciate that no thank you uh, i i i kind of get that feedback a lot that i pack a lot in and <laughs> i think it's because of my mind works because of Kabbalah, really, and, and a lot of the mystery school teachings that I've learned, it, it, like my mind has come to work in a very multidimensional way. So it's a little hard to keep it light. <laughs> and, but, and, and here's the really interesting thing, Teresa, is that um, when, when you talk, when you when you speak about this, um, what I think we're, we're missing or maybe we're coming back to is that sense of belonging that that we we are living um we're searching as human beings for something greater than ourselves, to belong to something greater than ourselves. And I think that's what you're you're talking about. So you could have lived on a mountain and made all these discoveries. Um, and when, you know, my, my third value is education, third highest value. First is my health, second is my family, and third is education. But education is a two-pronged approach it's not just learning which i love it's also teaching mm -hmm. and to be yeah. able to 
break it down for people and then to overlay what you're saying. I, 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 that's just brilliant. So mm. where does where does hermetic teaching come into this? Yeah, so the hermetic teachings go back to uh, Hermes Trismegistus, who, you know, they say, uh, at least in the oral tradition that I've come from with the mystery school, they say that those teachings go back about 8,000 years. Um, and Hermes was in like the ancient Greek tradition. He was like the god of wisdom. Uh, but you can trace it back even further to ancient Egyptian and it was the god uh, Toth and, you know, the god of wisdom and science and writing and uh, study of the stars and, and just the wisdom teachings. And <clears throat> so the hermetic teachings are a um, accumulation of the teachings that came from that brilliant being, you know, whether he was a god or whether he was human, who attained a very high level of mastery uh, he was a physical being who then taught uh, from the, his connection to the divine mind and taught. He had really two students. He had a student named Asclepius, and then he had uh, his son who was named Tat. But Tat wasn't really didn't have quite the aptitude to grasp all that Hermes was teaching. And so um, so Asclepius then became like the main student. And then Asclepius went on to take those teachings and teach thousands of students and, and started a, a lot of the, the mystery school tradition um, in the ancient Greek world. And um, so the hermetic teachings, I find, are very deep in the nature of the soul and who are we? Like, where do we come from? Why are we so unique, humans in particular? Why is the human unique in this universe? Um, and, and the, the divine, you know, the great potential that we have. And he talked a lot about humans being of two natures. We have this immortal nature, which is our spirit, our eternal being. And then we have this more mortal nature, which is our physicality. And because of those two natures, um, we're in a very challenging position. Um, but we also have the potential to be what Hermes says is become greater than the gods, um, who are made of just the one nature of, of immortal. And so we've we've sort of come into this experience of of this dual nature. Of course, we ultimately come from a non-dual place from from pure source, but we've come into an experience of having these two natures, and that that gives us some of our greatest gifts um, and some of our greatest challenges that we have to overcome. And then those the the hermetic teachings expand out. Um, to trying to really understand the cosmos, how the cosmos was created, um, what what was the sequence of that. It's very alchemical when you read things like the Hermetica. I've actually got a, a Hermetica sitting right in front of me right now. Um, and it's a, a compilation of his teachings to Asclepius uh, that Asclepius then later had written down. And then they were passed down through the oral tradition over 8,000 years. And so the the, the alchemical model really rests upon the hermetic principles and the hermetic concepts. And, you know, there's there was later writings, um, like there's a book called the Kybalion that was written in the early 1900s uh, or late 1800s. And it was, you know, it talks about the seven hermetic principles. And, you know, regardless of who wrote that, those were initiates who received those oral teachings through the mystery school tradition. 
But what's fascinating about them is that you you can lay them out with modern science. You know, they talk about, for example, the principle of vibration and, you know, how everything moves, everything vibrates. And that's being proven by modern day physics. Um, they talk about rhythm and polarity and and um, correspondence or, you know, what I think is more like a fractal or holographic model. Um, and but then ultimately, above all the physics, you know, they even talk about cause and effect and so forth. So so these ideas were there long before modern day physics discovered them. So it's like modern day science is coming around to what the ancient mystics and sages of these ancient mystery school traditions have known for a long time. They're just putting a new language to it and a more mathematical basis to it. Um, but where where you really see a difference is that the hermetic teachings say that first is the mind first is consciousness and that what we what everything that is created in this physical world comes first from an idea in the universal mind or what they call the one mind and what i think is fascinating about that is that science is you know in in quantum physics it's got this thing called the observer effect and it shows that the that the mind, the conscious observation of something is what brings it into being um, and that we we materialize things out of the quantum field by our direct observation of them. But depending on how we choose to observe assumptions, we make how we set up our experiments, what we're expecting and so forth, that actually determines what comes out. Um, so the observer effect really relates a lot to this uh high concept of the hermetic principle of the mind and so you, you can really see the hermetic teachings as being a foundation to alchemy and how alchemy works it's a foundation that that modern science can kind of go back to it's very detailed um and but ultimately it's about us and who are we and our divine potential so let's say Let's say somebody's never heard of what we've been talking about. Where where would you think would be a uh, Teresa? Where would be a good starting point for them? Um, if they want to start with studying any of the Hermetic teachings, I would recommend the Kybalion, which is based on the Seven Hermetic Principles. It's it's a little more modern day language. It's not super modern, but it you know it's a hundred years ago versus thousands of years ago. So I would start with that. Um, if they want to learn a little bit about alchemy, uh, I have a, a really easy primer, you know, simple book that is easy to understand. It gives a really good introduction to alchemy. It's called uh, The Game Changers, Social Alchemists in the 21st Century. Um, it's short. It's like 75 pages, so it's not a, a super long one. Um, and I, I, I kind of put that in the context of how does alchemy apply to us personally, but also how does it apply to our social um, paradigms and the world that we're in today, you know, so the sort of the social evolution of humanity, um, which is very relevant to, you know, the things we're experiencing right now. And then um, I also, one of my first books and still one of my favorites that I love for alchemy was um, the, uh, the Emerald Tablets uh, commentary written by Dennis William Hauck. Uh, most of the books by Dennis Hauck are fabulous when it comes to studying a bit of alchemy. And um, and if they want to study, if they've never read anything about Kabbalah and they want to get a taste, I would recommend the Ted Andrews Simplified Kabbalah Magic book. 
Uh, it's a really good introduction to more of the universal approach to Kabbalah versus the Judaic approach to it. Gotcha. Yeah, so those are good beginners. Awesome. Um, I am very, again, cognizant of your time, and we're, we're coming up towards the end. Um, how about what is what is the modern mystery school, and how would somebody go about, um, I, I guess, taking classes there? What what is that? Yeah, so the modern mystery school is an ancient um, lineage a mystery school. So it's something that. When we say lineage and ancient, it means that it's an unbroken tradition of the handing down of oral teachings. Hey, it's Dr. Noah, and I'm back. I suspect you loved listening to this week's podcast release. Our book of the month is Dr. Kellyanne's Cleanse and Reset, Detoxify, Nourish, and Restore Your Body for Sustained Weight Loss in Just Five Days. Dr. Kellyanne Petrucci has been a longtime friend of Beyond Your Wildest Genes. Check out our newest book. The link to purchase will be in all our emails, social media, and the show notes. Our product of the month is Magic Spoon. In my interweb travels, I noticed a company called Magic Spoon, marketed as the world's first low-carb, high-protein, keto-friendly breakfast cereal, so I decided to try it. I bought the variety pack with flavors blueberry, cocoa, frosted, and fruity. They come in adventure time looking like boxes, and we tried them, and I have to tell you, they are awesome absolutely delicious and the cereal never gets soggy my kids love it too definitely a repeat purchase for me i know you all are looking for a better option than frosted flakes and this could be one for sure for those of you who are curious a serving of magic spoon has 12 grams of protein and only three net carbs while frosted flakes has two grams of protein and 20 grams of net carbs it is sweetened by a unique blend of allulose monk fruit and stevia and they just released mini boxes great for travel to support our patient's immune system we bundled together three of our top sellers that are chock full of research-based immune boosting nutraceuticals and botanicals the immune system support bundle includes one bottle of immune boost one bottle of stress rebalancer and one bottle of vitamin d3 boost the normal price for these three supplements in total is $155. For the month of April, we are extending our 15% off and free shipping, making the total cost $131.75. You can pick this up in the office or if you're, lo in, if you're local, or we can send and ship it to you. This includes vitamin D3, maitake, echinacea, glutathione, vitamin A, adaptogens, minerals, and so much more to supercharge your immune system. Recently, we've done a multitude of live streams on this product, and the first podcast of the month for April will be solely dedicated to this bundle, so stay tuned. If you have any questions or comments, please never hesitate to reach out to us. Thank you, and be awesome and never unawesome.